on the first day when Muhadib rode through the streets of Arakim with his family. Some of the people along the way recalled the legend and the prophecy, and they ventured to shout, Mahdi! But their shout was more a question than a statement. For as yet they could only hope, he was the one foretold as the Lizan Hagayib, the voice from the outer world. Their attention was focused too on the mother, because they had heard she was a B'nai Jezreel, and it was obvious to them that she was like the other, Lizan Hagayib. From Manual of Muhadib, for the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pulse. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. (laughs) So, big things happening in this quote. Yeah. So, right now, contextually here, we we are kind of at the end of the night, about to be the second morning on Arrakis. This quote kind of points to on their first day, so it probably happened that morning. Evan picks up his book and thumbs through the pages, <laughs> elegantly touching each one of them, looking for the letters. <laughs> I, <laughs> I put the bookmark in the right page this time. Hey, so. I'm, I mean, being that you read the whole, the chapter right before we do this for the first time, it's probably it's probably smart. Right. I just have to finish the chapter and then go back and put my bookmark back where it was, where I picked it up today. This is the slowest way to read a book possible. <laughs> right. <laughs> For sure. Especially one with such short chapters. <laughs> like, let me read five pages a week of this book. And by the time I'm 75, we'll, have, we'll be done. It is pretty thick. <laughs> okay. Well, we do have, as I'm looking here at my notes, um, we have two, we have a short chapter this week, short chapter next week, and then it's like long all the way through. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm gonna have to take more time to read the chapters. I guess and you'll have to take it, you know, the book into the bathroom with you, so you can get that extra time in. This is the best place to read a book. Tbh. <laughs> <laughs> He's been gone in there a long time. You okay, Evan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just just perusing through the dunes of Arrakis. What's that? I don't know. Must be something his doctor told him. (laughs) Gross. All right, here we go. Not that kind of arrakis. (laughs) Not that kind of worm. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving forward. Anyway, anyway. There there was a line and we crossed it. (laughs) All right. So um, they're riding through the streets of Arakeen. This is probably like a tour, right? And they showed up. They're probably like, Paul's like, I want to go see the city. So, you know, they get in a thing and they drive around the city. Right, right, right. And the Fremen were coming out and they were all shouting, Madi, Madi. Madi, Madi. Which is going to be an intense, um, I guess, thing to go through as a kid. And right. And he'd been studying some of the Fremen religion, I think, that Yui gave him a book. So he's he's still trying to understand some of it. Okay. Do you think he knows what that term is? I mean, they don't really explain it to us. No. Right. Anyway. No, this is definitely looking back. I think, if anything, there's a touch of terrible purpose. Mm-hmm. The terrible purpose. You know, like there's some itch in the back of your throat that's like, this is some something's happening. I don't know what it is, but it's something. That terrible purpose trying to come out. Mm. 
Um, so yeah, I had to look up how to, in all um, honesty, I had to look up how to say Lazan Al Gaib before recording this. Lazan Al Gaib. Because I have a um, bad tendency to mispronounce words. Yeah, that's okay, buddy. <laughs> Everyone's got one fault, right? That's mine. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go. <laughs> Okay, that and much more. So here I found on um, on our trusty website, Reddit, ah. that how to exactly say Lizan al-Gaib. It's a unmodified Arabic term. Oh. Because um, Frank Herbert did use a lot of Arabic references for a Dune-type culture. Gotcha. But this was something I found to be interesting. The, the word muhadib is actually um, means educator or teacher of manners or culture. Dude. Yeah. It's the active form for, in Arabic, adib. So it's a, somebody who is a teacher or educator. I thought that was an interesting kind of pull. I like it. Using. I like it. So, so in our manual of culture, of, from the Muhadib, our educator of culture, is what he's saying. Hmm. So again, the Fremen are interested in the voice from the outer world. It also says that um, it was obvious to them that she was like, that Jessica, the Bene Desert, was like the other Bazan al-Gaib. What's that about? There was probably another one, you know, sent in maybe a... A prophet, you know, would kind of come in and guide the way for a while. Plus, it fits in with the missionary protectiva um, of the Bene Gesserit sending people in to help form the society. Okay. So there's that missionary protectiva working in the background for us. Hmm. Hmm. Sneaky. And it's always working. <laughs> right there in the background. All right. Pull my notes for the chapter here. Um, I want to go over Piter's plan one more time. Again? Again? Just because some of it happens in the chapter. So right, 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 right. So Piter's plan is Dr. Yui will move against the Atreides. We know that. Uh, Leto will know it's Yui. I don't know if we've had that happen yet. No. Um, there will be seven di- several diversions in Arakeen. I think we've kind of seen some of that so far. There'll be an attempt on Paul's life. Definitely seen that one. Um, how it will be convinced there's an agent. How it will suspect that that agent is Lady Jessica. And because of that suspicion, it will impair his functions as a mentat. Um, because of that, how it may try to kill Jessica, we don't know for sure. There will be uprisings in the garrison towns, and the Atreides will put them down so they think they're winning. And at the right moment... They'll signal Yui and send in the Harkonnen and the Sardaukar. And uh, the Duke may try to flee, but the path is blocked by the planetary ecologist. Mm. That is the plan. I was trying to count the steps, but I I, I lost count. After five, it gets hard on one hand. (laughs) I understand that. All right. So the chapter now starts. I think I think it probably starts right after our last chapter, right after the the big staff meeting. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the Duke found Thufer Howard alone in a corner room, to which a guard had directed him. So I don't know what Howard is doing in the corner room. 
somehow when I first read this, it was like, I imagined him like with his nose to the corner. You know, like he's, like he's in timeout. Like he's in timeout. Like he just put himself in timeout. Just nose and toes on the wall. Maybe he's just doing like like a mint hat like reboot or something. Just need to get all of this information. <laughs> Since you know there's no computers, they got, I mean they gotta shut down sometime. Right. And no one is sleeping so far, so I mean he's gotta do something. Right. Um but the Duke glanced around how it Grant glanced around as how it arose from the paper-cluttered table. It was green-walled enclosure with an addition to the table. Three suspensor chairs, which had the Harkonnen H, had been hastily removed, leaving an imperfect color patch. So uh, they came in and did a quick job and just took off all of the uh, the, em- the Harkonnen emblems on the back. Like, oh, right. okay, here we go. Left like a tan line on the chairs. <laughs> hey, hey, redecorating is hard, okay? They've had one day. Give them a little bit more time. <laughs> Just imagine one day, all of this will be a different color. <laughs> um, this is how it says the chairs have been liberated, but they're quite safe. Where's Paul? And then the Duke explains, I left him in the conference room. Hopefully he, he will get some actual rest there without me distracting him. Cause I know, you know, Paul is going to be watching his dad. Cause if dad's anxious, Everyone should be anxious. Right. And this is where Alito kind of like spills the beans about what he's kind of thinking and why he feels anxious. He says, Thufer, the Imperial and Harkonnen stockpiles of spice attract my attention. And Thufer's like, my lord. And the Duke said, the storehouses are susceptible to destruction. And so I think this is where, and he says like, you know, Thufur's like, okay, good plan. Like, why Why does he want to go on the offensive right now? Right. And, in fact, leave leave the planet. Because he says, um, let's use some of Idaho's men and perhaps some of the Fremen who might enjoy a trip off planet. We can do a raid on Giddy Prime, and there will be tactical advantage to a diversion, Thufur. And then how it's like, you know, as as you say... And he kind of like just kind of pushes him aside. But I think, I think Lido, he's so used to being on the offensive that being on the defense is, defensive is different. Uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. Uncomfortable. And, and he wants to, I think it's already happened to him. So he wants to make other things happen. So he feels like he's in, still in control. Right. I think that's what he's probably thinking. Um, but now the Duke looks at Howitt and he says, he say, thinks to himself, like, perhaps I'd distrust him. You know, he must know I've had private reports of traitors. Well, best quiet his fears immediately. So already Thufur's messed up. He and Thufur thinks he's on the chopping block for the letting the hunter seeker get Paul or almost get Paul. Right. And now he probably now, so Lido's kind of like kind of calm him down. Like, you've served us a long time. We trust you. Right. And he has to like literally spell it out. Literally. Like, you are one of the few people I can trust completely. And then he tells him that he's had reports of traitors. Because we know that Paul Hill knows from Mapes and that Jessica knows from that note she read in the leaf. 
And she told Paul, and Paul told Vido. So Vido knows that we have two people have said there's traitors. Yeah. How it turned and stared at him. So Vito repeated the stories Paul had brought. Instead of bringing on the intense Mentat concentration, the report only increased Howitt's agitation. So Howitt's kind of, he's going off the rails a slight tiny bit. Yeah, he was already thinking that something was awry, and I think this only confirmed his suspicion. Like he's taking it a step further than he needs to right away. Right, and I mean, like, he just failed big time with the whole hunter seeker situation. So like saying that, like there's a traitor, he's, he's kind of starting to lose his nerve. He's like, Oh man, another thing I did wrong. And instead of like being a mentat and like, okay, uh, here's how we'll solve the problem. He's like, Oh gosh, please don't fire me. You know, like he's getting, he's getting sketched out. There's definitely some of that, but he's got to say, um, he has found a traitor as well. Right, 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 right. Right, so Leto studied the old man and presently said, you've been holding something back, old friend. I should have suspected it when you were so nervous during staff. Mm. You know, and then Howard looks at him. He says, my lord, I don't know quite how to broach this. And the Duke's like, come on, spill the beans. What do you got going on here? You can broach, bro. Just just broach. Broach it, man. Come on. Bro out with your broach, man. I mean, you know, bro, broach out with your bro. We're, we, go, we go way back. You could broach to me. Just broach. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did practically raise him. So, yeah. Right. Anybody you can broach to. <laughs> um, how it stared at him thinking, this is how I like him best. This is the man of honor who deserves every bit of my loyalty and service. Why must I hurt him? And Leto's like, all right, spill it. What do we got? And Howard shrugged. It's a scrap of a note. All right, Paul has, Paul has, let's go over. Paul, Paul has Mapes telling him there's a traitor. Right. Um, we have a full-on letter on a leaf from Benegez right. or Benegez or saying there's, and Howard gets a scrap of a note. Not even a full note. We took from the Harkonnen courier. The note was intended for an agent named Party. We have good reason to believe Party was a top man in the Harkonnen underground. The note, the thing would give great consequence or no consequence. It's, subtip- it's susceptible to various interpretations. So this is what the note says. Oh, let's see right there. Um, well, right before that, it says that they were going to destroy the note. They were going to. They stopped the acid action, short of full eraser. So the note was going to disappear, but they stopped it. So there's, we just have a little bit of note left, right? Because um, they probably killed Party. Oh yeah, they're about to say it right here afterwards. They definitely ref, they definitely roughed up Party a little bit. Yeah, they're party poopers. <laughs> you've been <laughs> waiting. You've been waiting for that. Did you write that in the margin of the book? Like, oh, oh use this joke later. Totally wrote that down in here. Party poopers. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's funny that the the, the Atreides are um, 0 for 2 for keeping people alive that they need to question. <laughs> right. We messed them up. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Like, if you really need more information, why do we keep killing people? 
<laughs> All right. So uh, how it rubs his lips, and this is what the um, note says. Eto will never suspect when the blow falls on him from a beloved hand. Its source alone should be enough to destroy him. And then it's got the Baron's uh, seal. Was that your Baron voice? Uh, no, that was my letter voice. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Just because I don't think the Baron wrote this. This is this is a setup. What are you talking about? Right. Pretty obviously a setup. I mean, now that I've read it for the fourth time, I can see that. But the first time, I don't know if I would have caught that right away. <laughs> this is definitely a setup. And this is where how it's like, my lord, what if? <laughs> and then Lita goes, the lady Jessica, he felt anger consuming him. Couldn't you really pissed? Like, Lito gets pissed right now. I mean, I, I feel like he knew this was coming. But I, you still can't control that emotion that bubbles up inside you. Right. <laughs> so it's, he's like, can we get anything in our party? And they're like, no, he uh, doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and Lito's like, what a slimy piece of business. I can't be anything in it. I know my woman. And this is where the Duke was like, no, 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 there's, there's a mistake. This cannot happen. She's right. been with me for 16 years. We've had countless opportunities for yourself to investigate the school and the woman and right. how it's like, there's been things to escape me. And we was like, it's impossible. I tell you. Oh no. Yeah. You know, it says, uh, yeah, it's impossible to the Harkonnens want to destroy the Atreides line, meaning Paul too. They tried once. Could a woman conspire against her own son? And then, yeah, Lido's like, she, he, she had lots of chances. If she wanted to kill me, she would have killed me a long time ago. Right. And like, okay, what gets me is like, as we move forward, we're like, as you, the audience, like you're, you're reading through this, you can just see Thufer like making up scenarios. Like he has one little tiny inconclusive piece of evidence. And then he's just like, well, maybe she was abandoned by an Atreides family and an orphan. And because she was an orphan, she became B'nai Gesserit and she wants to kill you. You know, like it's, he just goes straight conspiracy theory off of one note. And that's exactly what Piter wants him to do. Right. He want yeah to get him stuck into this conspiracy theory loop that he thinks he knows because he has a, a a what is it a grudge against Benet Jesuits in general so it's just we're just playing on this hunch right this is one of my favorite lines though here it says um, the Duke says she have moved she'd have moved long before now poison in my drink stiletto at night. Who has had the better opportunity? I love how Lido's like, he, she could have killed me with her heel <laughs> at any time. And I guess we, Frank thinks we still have stilettos in the future. So, Well, I think stiletto's a knife, right? I could, uh, uh, shoes are called stilettos. Hey, I mean, Google. Hey, Google. <laughs> stilettos. Probably, and I'm just not knowing things over here. Oh man, my Googleness heard me. Now I'm trying to figure it out. A short dagger um, with a tapering blade. Fool. You're right. I'm it's wrong. A she it's goes, a knife. Me with a shoe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if she would wear. 
knives as shoes, but who knows? I'm, I stand corrected. <laughs> I guess it wasn't as cool as I thought it was. I mean, you're pretty cool, but still. Oh, I mean, hey. All right. Um, ben Thufer goes, the Harkonnens mean to destroy you. Not just kill you, but like make it hurt. So that's his justification for thinking that um, it could be Jessica. Mm. Mm. And this is where the Duke is thinks like, this cannot be. This woman has opened her heart to me. And so he's like thinking about it. And he, I think Lido's made up his mind. Like, no way is this true. No way. Right. She's the one that's also come to me and said, there's a traitor. Paul says, there's a traitor. These are the two people I trust. Or anything else. The Duke opens his eyes, stares at Howitt, and he thinks, let him be suspicious. Suspicion is his trade, not mine. Perhaps if I appear to believe this, that will make another man careless. So maybe if I play into this, the trap will spring open and we'll be able to see who it is. Right. Who holds the knife in what hand? Yui. Yui. Yui holds a knife. <laughs> will we know it's Yui? Um, who will know? So he decides to put Duncan Idaho to watch Lady Jessica during this time. Um, and then they get into a conversation about, uh, Lido turned his back on Howitt, said, I leave it in your hands, right? Moving forward. And then Howitt goes, my Lord, before you go, I have a film clip you should read. It's my first approximation analysis on the Fremen religion. You'll recall you asked me to report on it. The Duke paused, spoke without turning. Will it not wait? It's been a long day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, if you sleep, is it really still day or night? I don't know. All right. Of course, my lord. You asked what they were shouting. It was Mahdi. It's a, they directed a term at the young master, at Paul. Yes, my lord. They have a legend here, a prophecy, that a leader will come to them, a child of a Bene Gesserit, and lead them to a true freedom. It follows the familiar Messiah pattern. They think Paul is this, this. They only hope, my lord. And the Duke accepts it. The film book puts it in his pocket. I'll look at it later. So that's our first glimpse of, I think... Leto also seeing a way out. I don't know if he sees it quite yet, but it's definitely a way out for for Paul and the missionary productiva very much working in their benefit. Right. A leader will come to them from the outside world. Yeah. So that that's got good. That's good news for them. I don't know if they can work it. And so then you say, see the Duke take a deep sigh, throw it out the door. He turned his right down the hall and began walking, hands behind his back, paying little attention to where he was. There were corridors and stairs, balconies and halls, people who saluted and stood aside for him. It's just, you know, you just, your nightly walk when you need to think or something. In time, he came back to the conference room and found it dark and Paul asleep on the table. The guard's robe had been thrown over him. So it's after a long night, he goes back to the room with Paul because it's obviously a place where he wants to know where Paul is safe. Right. 
But is Paul sleeping? That's the real question. <laughs> that is a real question. Until we see something that says Paul wakes up, do we do we really know? Right. He's a really good fake sleeper. So he is. He's fake sleep twice on us now. <laughs> no. So you see the Duke kind of probably just looking out the window at this point, watching the sunrise on this. Right, he's, on the, he's on the balcony, right? Yeah. There's like, there's a soldier on the balcony. I thought that image was like pretty rad when it, when it came up. Cause he, um, sorry. Duke's watch the length of the room. The balcony over, overlooking the landing field, a guard at the corner of the balcony, recognizing the Duke by the dim reflection of lights from the field snapped to attention. And leaders just kind of like, at ease. Uh, like staring. And this dude is just like standing there because he can't move. That's where he's supposed to be. But like, they literally stand there until sunrise. You've been, yeah, always watching. And that's hey. like, they barely talk to each other. And at the end, they say something. But that must have been a very interesting moment for that guard. Just kind of like, all right, I guess I just stand here with my boss's boss's boss. And. <laughs> Watch the sunrise. Watch the sunrise with him without and without exchanging words. So yeah, the Duke is leading, leaning against the cold metal of the balcony rail. A pre-dawn hush comes over the desert basin. He looked up. Straight overhead, the stars were sequin shawl flung over blue black. Low on the southern horizon, the night's second moon peered through a thin dust haze. An unbelieving moon that looked to him with a cynical light. As the Duke watched, the moon dipped behind the shield wall cliffs, frosting them, and in the sudden intensity of darkness, he experienced a chill, a shiver. <laughs> Anger shot through him. Our Harkonnens have hindered and hounded and hunted me for the last time, he thought. They have dung heaps with village provost mines. Here I might here I make my stand. Get him. Get him, Lido. Yeah, don't bull you can't bully me around. I you know who I am? I'm a bullfighter. I, I rule with eye and claw as a hawk among lesser birds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's the symbol in the crest for the Atreides, the hawk. So yeah. he he unconsciously his hand brushes the hawk, the emblem on his tunic. But I, I love how we're watching the sun almost come up right here. Right? Uh, yeah. To the east, the night grew of luminous gray in the seashell opulence that dimmed the stars. There came the long bell tolling movement of dawn striking across the broken horizon. The scene of such beauty, it caught all his attention. Some things beggar likeness, he thought. He never imagined anything here could be as beautiful as that shattered red horizon and the beautiful orchard cliffs. Beyond the landing field where the night's faint dew had touched life into hurried seeds of arrakis, he saw great puddles of red blooms running through them, an articulate thread of violet like giant footsteps. It's a beautiful morning, sir, the guard said. Yes, it is. The Duke nodded, 
thinking perhaps this planet could grow on one. Perhaps it could become a good sun for my home. A good home, good home for my son. I flipped up that last little bit. (laughs) I was doing so well. Hey, you're doing great. Oh, man. Just sometimes, you know, words get flip-flopped. It's fine. It's fine. So then we see, so the sun pops up. The dew kind of like evaporates in this wave type motion as flowers kind of come out and take it. And then he kind of noticed how beautiful it could be. And we have our first sunrise on Arrakis. Will it be his last sunrise? Whoa. Oh. How you going to do that to me? I don't know. Will it be his last sunrise on Arrakis? I got to wait a week to find out. <laughs> you probably got to wait a little bit longer than that. Dang it. <laughs> he saw the human figures moving into the flower field, sweeping them with a strange scythe like device dew gatherers water so precious here that even the dew must be collected and it could be a hideous place the duke thought and that's ends chapter 13 there it is yeah there wasn't much a uh, big uh philosophical wisdom in this but you do have the, the setting up of how it knows there's a traitor leto knows there's a traitor but I don't think they think that the same person is the traitor. Right. Right. The only person that's guessed you at this point is Paul right away. Right. And got brushed off saying no way. Of course. It's like, it's infuriating that Frank had to let us know that it's Yui. And now we're just sitting here like, Dude, no, it's it's you. It's you. Guys, figure it out. Figure out that it's you, please. You know, but like even in the in Princess Irulan's like annotations, everything is just saying like, if only they had known that it was Yui. Because <laughs> Yui killed everybody. Everybody's dead because of Yui. And, and I think like, that's ah. I think that's a fun um I guess it's like a literary tool, right? Where we know what's gonna happen. And there's, yeah. so there's, there's a tension there that in some moments, say this last moment, like that conversation between Howitt and Lido is a pretty dull conversation. Right. But we know all the tension behind it. And so I think it just, it injects the, the, the story with so much more tension because we're waiting for something to happen. Right. And okay. So far, my experience with Frank He's really good at doing that, just like planting the seed like in your subconscious, you know, and you're just like, wait, but okay, does that mean, okay, you know, like the thing that's, that's getting me now at this point in the book is like, um, the way that they talk about the, uh, the Fremen and their religion and how it's like, oh, it's this, it's classic, like, Messiah story. Totally, we know exactly what it is, and it's a missionary productiva. Like, they implant these stories, and we know exactly what type of stories they implant and what kind of planets, and, like, we have all of this, like, there's this whole system to get people to believe these things. But then we're reading these quotes about the Muad'Dib and 
you know, like he's talked about with this like aspect of greatness and this like, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, okay, they know, they know how to like plant these stories, but like, is Paul the, the, the planted story coming true? Like that's what's, is he? That I, I we're about know. to find out. Yeah, no. but like that's what's like happening in the back of my head this whole time as we're reading through. Is like, is he the chosen one? Is he not the chosen one? Right. Is, is the chosen just- one actually a thing? And all of these incredibly smart, like robot people, deceptive ways are were actually in some way this like spiritual, divine, prophetic type thing and they didn't even know it because they were too like smart and brain heavy to think of it that way you know i don't know it's well we got the quote about god saying i think we've got this quote so far it's about um uh, i think uh margaret fenry said it to Bene Gesserit or said it to jessica in the note that was like the the the, the closer you get to the thing the more dangerous it becomes the thing you like and there's another quote, I think it might be coming up or we already have it. No, I'm talking about how um, like God wills a destiny forward. And right. then like he puts things that are attractive in front of you so that you go for it, even though they're dangerous. And it's this idea that like you're, there's this pulling. But I like what you're talking about how he was there's there's a system that's in place and they know how the system all works. Right. Until the system comes crumbling down. Right. Like it works so well to the point where they've, they've created it to do all this certain stuff, but like it's still, we still can't control everything. Right. And maybe I'm being very, we still got like and spiritual about my understanding of what's going on here. Cause I have no idea what's coming up next. So I'm literally just guessing. And the people that have read the book before that are following us are, are laughing like, at you. Oh buddy. <laughs> oh, you, you chaotic, good little, little. You just yes, <laughs> we'll dwarf you, and you just want all the good things, right? Well, I guess Frank, Frank uh, will do what he will with my emotions. That's fine. And then by the end, we shall both have Frank Herbert beards, so we're almost there. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentle worms, if you're watching us on Twitter right now, yo, what's up? This is our first actual, you know, Twitter thing. Periscope yeah. watching live. Yeah. You can find us there. Find us on YouTube, um, Twitter at Reading Dune, YouTube also at Reading Dune. If you have any emails, if you still do that kind of thing and you want to reach out, we have one of those. Yeah. At readingdune at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, send us a little letter, a little electronic letter. I'll yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. So we'll, boom, we'll just beam it to space and back down into our computers. That's how that works. Fantastic. All right. Fantastic. Anything else you want to say there, uh, Evan? Before we wrap up? <sighs> no. Hey, we got uh, we got three likes on our uh, tweet about this episode. Hey, people. This is this okay? We just started this thing. We're excited about very little. <laughs> Any human interaction with our podcast is just the most exciting thing. I and it's humbling to know that each one of those little, you know, hearts and likes and comments we get is an actual real life human being. 
with a with a with a life Someone and problems who also reads Dune. Fantastic. Stay spicy. Yeah. All right, y'all. I'll see you on the flip side. No, I'm not saying that anymore. I can't say that. Yeah, stop saying that. Just stay, stay spicy and end the broadcast. <laughs>